So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. And today... (laughs) Today is not just any other episode, because today, here on this Wednesday, we are celebrating the 100th episode of Killer Instinct, and I I can't believe it. We have been doing this for about two whole years now. It was two years on February 28th, so just a little over two years, and there was no way I could possibly start this episode without saying no matter how long you have been listening to Killer Instinct for. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for making this the most amazing dream I could have ever imagined. I never thought that I could have a podcast, let alone one that you guys would want to listen to and doing work that I feel so strongly for and so passionate about. And to see you guys reciprocate that passion is an indescribable feeling. You're back here every Wednesday with me diving into the next case and you give your theories and your thoughts and you guys are so intricate with all of the details and you're so caring and you care about these cases and these people and there would be no killer instinct without you. You guys are just as much of killer instinct as I am and so I wanted to thank you for being here for a hundred episodes. Every time I say it, I smile because I cannot believe it. But I, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I cannot wait to keep doing this and bringing you more cases and more episodes. So with that being said, today we are talking about a very, very disturbed man, and he is a serial killer named Ed Gian. I had actually ran polls on both Instagram and Twitter to see what you guys wanted for this 100th episode. And if you don't follow me on social media platforms, I highly suggest that you do because I ask your guys' opinions a lot on what kind of cases you want to see. You can either follow my social media platforms, which are just at Savannah Brimer, or you can follow the Killer Instinct platforms, which is Killer Instinct Podcast on Instagram. So like I said, today we are talking about Ed Gein, and he has assembled the nicknames over the years of the Mad Butcher, the Plainful Ghoul, the Plainfield Butcher, and the Butcher of Plainfield over the years. So with that being said, you guys, let's jump right on into it today. Edward Theodore Gein was born on August 27, 1906 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin, to his parents, George Gein and Augusta Gein. Now, Ed had an older brother named Henry, who was about five years older than him, and Ed's upbringing was very toxic. This was an extremely toxic household. His father, George, was a raging alcoholic, and to say that his mother, Augusta, was religious would be an understatement. Augusta 
was a Lutheran and her entire life revolved around her religious beliefs and she really instilled those beliefs into her boys. Every afternoon, Augusta would read passages from the Bible to her sons, and she really used religion as a way to scare her sons into never doing anything. She used religion to scare them into being completely straight-edged, and she also really instilled this idea in them that women were the devil. They were absolutely terrible, and that they were promiscuous and just all sorts of trouble except for her. It was all women except for her. Now, when it came to Ed's parents, Augusta and George had a terrible relationship. Augusta absolutely despised George. Augusta really, really resented him for many reasons but she refused to divorce him because of her religious beliefs and the belief around divorce. Divorce was an absolute no-go for her. It was not an option. Now, because of her hatred for her husband, Augusta was extremely, extremely hard on Ed and Henry because she believed in her mind that they were just going to grow up to be failures like their father. So because of that, nothing they ever did was good enough for her, which resulted in her being extremely abusive towards them. So just based off that, if you can't tell already, Augusta really ran this household. She was the leader and she also ran a small grocery store by herself. And once she raised up enough money doing that, she then moved her family to a farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. The farm was actually on the outskirts of Plainfield, and the whole family moved there permanently. The population in Plainfield around this time was 723 people, so not too many people. This wasn't a town with about 4,000, 5,000 people. It still was a relatively small community, and Augusta really wanted that because she wanted to be able to control the surroundings that her children were growing up in. She wanted them to be secluded and isolated enough from any distractions that they could get. And the boys' day-to-day activities were really just waking up, going to school, coming home, and doing the chores that they had to do. Now, people who knew Ed growing up, like his classmates, said that he was a really shy kid. He kept to himself, and he was definitely a little bit on the stranger side. He had some weird mannerisms. He would keep to himself, but do things like just laugh to himself randomly at random times of the day, just burst into this uncontrollable laughter to himself. And he was described as a loner, but this was the result of his mother, who actually would punish Ed and Henry if they ever tried to have any friends. She would physically punish them if they ever tried to make friends, invite friends over, go to friends' houses, really just be an average kid. She was not okay with that whatsoever. So because of his odd behavior and the fact that he was a loner and wasn't able to have a lot of friends, Ed really was the target of a lot of bullying. But despite his bullying and his odd behavior, he did get relatively good grades. Ed was a smart kid. Now, most people, when they grow up, especially at this time, they would grow up, they graduate school, and then they move out of the house and they do their own thing. But this was not the case for Ed and Henry. Both boys stayed on the farm well past the age of 18, and they worked on the farm for their mom. In 1940, when Ed was 34 years old, his father George died of a heart attack, and that really caused Ed and Henry to have to step up and be the men of the household for Augusta because now she was widowed and left with no one else. Even though she didn't like her husband, she had a terrible relationship with him. She really was on her own. So this did require Ed and Henry to really step up to the plate. They both got jobs to help pay some of the 
bills. They both worked as handymen, and Ed also worked as a babysitter. He would babysit for a few kids, and he really liked it. He loved that job because he related more with children than he did with adults. Mind you, he was 34, 35, 36 years old at this time, but he did relate more with kids because he never had a childhood. So developmentally, he was still looking at these kids having normal lives and wishing that he could have had that. Now, as far as their reputation goes, both Ed and Henry were known to be very responsible, respectful, and honest guys. But this is around the time where things started to change a little bit in the family dynamic. And this is not uncommon. When someone is raised in a very religious, strict household, one of two things typically happen. Either the first is they follow that path. The mindset that was instilled in them as a child still continues all the way through their adulthood. Or the second thing that usually happens is a lot of kids who grow up in a really strict household where they are not allowed to do anything, a lot of them tend to rebel. They reach an age where they decide that this is not the life that they want to live. These are not their values. These are not their beliefs. And they decide to go out and rebel against them. And it was around the time that George died that Ed's brother Henry really started to understand that he did not fall into the same religious beliefs as his mother and Ed did. These beliefs were not something that he agreed with and not something he wanted to be a part of anymore. And while he was having this revelation for himself, he also realized how attached Ed was to Augusta. Regardless of him being a full-on grown man at this point, Ed, who was at this point 34, 35, 36 years old again in the years following his father's death, he was extremely attached to his mother. That was the only woman in his life. Ed never dated anyone. He was never involved romantically with anyone. And Henry, on the other hand, at this time was actually dating a new woman. He was dating a woman who had two kids and he was planning on moving in with her. So Ed and Henry are living very two separate lives at this point. And Ed was actually getting very frustrated with Henry because Henry would disclose with Ed how he didn't believe in the religion that they grew up in and he actually resented his mom for instilling these harsh values in them and this would make Ed really upset. Henry would go on and talk about how convoluted and ridiculous these views were, but this is not something that Ed wanted to hear about his mother. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. 
So let's talk about what happened on May 16th, 1944. Again, this was only four years after Ed's father, George, had died. And on the night of May 16th, 1944, both Ed and his brother Henry were at home when a fire had started nearby the farm. Now, as a result of this, both of them went out to try and calm the fire down and Ed went in one direction and Henry went in the opposite. They thought that going in opposite directions would help give them a better chance of calming the fire down. However, once Ed was able to put out his side of the fire, he then started to look for Henry and realized that he could not find Henry anywhere. After not being able to locate Henry, Ed then reached out to the authorities and told them what had happened. This is when the authorities started putting together a search party. One of these search parties was led by Ed, and Ed's search party was actually the one who ended up discovering Henry's body. Now, at first, when Henry's body was discovered, it was thought that he had just succumbed to the conditions of the fire and had essentially been burned alive. However, once his body was recovered and he went through an autopsy, it was revealed that he actually had no burn marks on his body anywhere. He had been absolutely untouched by the fire, and the only marks that were found on Henry were the ones on his head. He had several bruises on his head, looking as if he had been hit over the head with an object multiple times. So no burn marks and potential head injury. However, regardless of this, police really did suspect no foul play, and they never did an investigation. They never looked further into it. Once the autopsy was performed, Henry's official cause of death was actually concluded to be asphyxiated. Now, from what I told you, you might be able to piece together that there are a lot of people who believe that Ed was actually the one that was responsible for his brother's death. And the motive here would have been because Henry was rebelling against the religion that they grew up in. And not only that, he was starting to talk really negatively about their mother and really put their mother in this negative light. And Ed was extremely protective of his mother and didn't like the fact that Henry was speaking poorly about her. So there are a lot of people who believe that Ed was the one who murdered Henry and then lit this fire himself to help stage this scene, making it look like Henry was burned alive. However, despite any of this, there were never any official charges made against Ed for his brother's death. Now, after Henry's death, it then left Ed living alone with his mother, Augusta, in the farm. Again, Ed at this point was in his late 30s, living at the farm with his mother, but he seemed perfectly fine with this. And then just a little over a year after Henry's death on December 29th, 1945, Ed and Henry's mother, Augusta, also died. The cause of Augusta's death was her suffering from several strokes. So after Augusta died, that really left Ed all alone. He lost three of his immediate family members over the course of five years. Again, what happened with Henry is still up for question. However, he went from having all of his immediate family members to being all by himself in just a matter of five years. And as you could probably imagine, his mother's death really hit him the hardest. Like I said, prior to his mother's death, Ed never left the house. He never went on dates. He never experienced any romantic relationship with any other woman. There were a lot of people who actually said that Ed was in love with his mother. Ed had idolized his mother for so long and had completely put her on this pedestal and never experienced anyone else that he actually had this in love infatuation with his mother. 
Now, after Augusta died, Ed continued to live on the farm by himself. And one of the things that he did is he actually boarded up every room in the house that his mother used besides the kitchen. He completely boarded up the entire upstairs as well as the downstairs living room and the downstairs parlor and really just left himself with his own bedroom and the kitchen. Now, the reason he did this was because he wanted to preserve the rooms exactly like his mother had left them. After his mom's death, he also got really into anatomy magazines as well as death cult magazines. So let's fast forward to December 8th, 1954. This was about just under 10 years after his mother had died. And on this specific night is when Ed murdered his first known victim. And this is a woman named Mary Hogan. Mary was a 51-year-old woman who worked at a bar in Pine Grove, Wisconsin, which is about a 10-minute drive from Plainfield. Now, Ed was not a stranger to the bar that Mary worked at, as he had visited there several times before, but the night of December 8th, 1954, was different. Ed had actually waited for all the customers to leave the bar. That way, there would be no witnesses left to recognize him. Once all the customers left the bar, he then walked into the bar himself, and this is when Mary told Ed that they were closing up for the night. But before she could say anything else, Ed pulled out a 32 caliber pistol and shot her through her skull, killing her instantly. Ed then dragged her body outside and put it onto a sled that he then drug back to his farm. This process actually took several hours, and the sad part about this is that no one ever reported Mary missing. A missing persons report for Mary was never filed with the authorities. The only reason that police figured it out was because they discovered blood behind the bar, but they weren't able to identify Ed as her killer for years following her death. Now let's move on to November 16th, 1957. This was three years after Mary Hogan's murder. And on this day is when a woman named Bernice Warden lost her life. Bernice Warden was a 58-year-old woman when she went missing. She worked at a hardware store located in Plainfield. And Bernice's son, whose name is Frank, was actually the sheriff in Plainfield. Just a couple days prior to Bernice's death, Ed was actually seen talking to both Frank and Bernice. And this was a little odd because Ed was not known to strike up conversation with anyone. He was a really quiet guy who kept to himself. So the fact that he was going out of his way to talk to Bernice and Frank was unusual for him. But during this conversation is when Ed learned that Frank was actually going to be going out of town in the next couple days to go on a hunting trip by himself and Bernice was going to stay behind and work at the hardware store. Now, what Frank didn't know at the time that he was telling Ed this was that he was giving Ed all the information he needed to attack his mother. On November 16th, Ed walked into the hardware store during the time that Bernice was closing in the back. Ed walked in and locked the door. He walked straight to the back of the shop and took a 22 caliber rifle that was hanging on the wall and fired a single shot straight to Bernice's head, killing her instantly. 
Similar to how he disposed of Mary Hogan's body, Ed then put Bernice in the back of his car, stole $41 out of the cash register, and took her body back to the farm. Now, the reason this was ever discovered in general was because when Frank returned home from his hunting trip, he went to the hardware store to check on his mom, and that is when he noticed that the front door was locked, and when he looked through the door, he saw that there was blood on the floor. Now, Frank was actually the one who put all the pieces to this puzzle together because when he walked into the hardware store, he noticed a slip receipt on the counter for a gallon of antifreeze. The slip receipt was written in his mother's handwriting and Frank had remembered how Ed told him that he was going to be back in the store in a couple days to get antifreeze, a gallon of antifreeze to be exact. And that was the exact order written out on the slip receipt. So that is how Frank was able to make the connection that Ed more than likely had something to do with his mother's disappearance. Once he made this connection, Frank then assembled a search team to go and search Ed's entire property, which was the farm. Now, when the search team arrived on the property, they started by looking into a shed. And when they opened the doors to this shed, they found Bernice's decapitated body hanging upside down. Her wrists had been tied together with rope and a crossbar was hanging with her ankles and her internal organs had also been removed. After the discovery of Bernice's body, the search team then went and looked throughout the rest of the farm. And this is what they found. They found Mary Hogan's head in a paper bag. They also found Bernice Warden's head in a burlap sack. There were nine masks found that were made out of human skin, four noses, whole human bones and fragments of them as well, skulls on his bedpost, organs in his refrigerator. A pair of human lips were found on the drawstring that was used for a window shade. There was also a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, a belt made out of nipples, nine female genitals in a shoebox, human skin covering several chairs, and bowls made out of human skulls. Ed was using the remains of all of these victims as decor in his home. Obviously, he was automatically arrested on the scene. And when he was questioned, Ed confessed to police that during the years of 1947 and 1952, he made at least 40 trips to the cemetery to exhume recently buried bodies. 40 trips to the cemetery. He said during these visits, he was in a quote-unquote daze-like state. And on 30 out of the 40 visits, he did not exhume any bodies, but on the other 10, he did. Ed had a very particular type of victim that he was looking for. Ed was exhuming bodies of middle-aged women that resembled his mother. He was looking for women that specifically had similar features to his mom. Ed admitted to exhuming the bodies of nine different women. However, he denied having any sexual relation with these bodies because he said that they smelled too bad. Along with going after women that looked like his mother, Ed would also pick women whose bodies were not fully underground yet. So the grave was not fully completed yet. He would specifically target bodies of women who did not have a gravestone yet. That way, the exhuming process was easier for him. And he didn't just go to one specific gravesite. He was visiting several gravesites. And he actually led police to the different gravesites of these women and showed them how he did this on his own. Because for a long time, authorities did not believe that he could single-handedly complete this process on his own. However, with a crowbar, he was able to 
open each of the coffins. Now let's move on to exactly why he said that he did this, what his motive here was. And Ed said that the reason he dismembered all of these bodies and the reason he did the things that he did was ultimately, despite the fact that he was using their body parts as decor in his home, he was ultimately trying to skin each of these women to make a suit out of their skin. That way he would be able to, quote, step into his mother's skin, end quote. And of course, these bodies were not the exact replica of his mother. They were not his mother. However, this was as close to his mother as he believed that he was going to get. And making this suit out of these women's skin who looked like his mom, that was the closest he was going to get to it. There were times where Ed also said that he wanted to be a woman and that this suit made out of other women's skin was his way of being able to be a woman. He could step into this skin suit and turn into a woman. However, he didn't want to just be a woman. He wanted to be his mother. Now, this is where it gets incredibly frustrating because after Ed had confessed all of this, he was being questioned by the sheriff at the time named Art Schley. And reportedly during this questioning, Art had actually physically attacked Ed because he was so disturbed by what Ed had done. He was so triggered by it. He ended up taking Ed's head and banging it into a brick wall. Now, because of this, it made Ed's confession completely unusable and inadmissible in a court of law. So even though Ed confessed, he then had to go through an entire trial, but he wasn't able to sit trial because he was deemed unfit and mentally insane because a psychiatrist had diagnosed him with schizophrenia. On November 21st, 1957, Ed was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder, and he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. So instead of going to prison, Ed was sent to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is now known known as the Dodge Correctional Institution. He then transferred to Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin, and one of the psychiatrists who spoke with Ed said that during her conversation with Ed, he was not aware of whether or not he killed Bernice Warden intentionally or unintentionally. During the psychiatrist's conversation with Ed, there was a point where Ed said that the death was accidental and that he accidentally picked up the gun and accidentally shot her and it just accidentally hit her straight in her skull and killed her instantly. Ed said that after he killed Bernice, he did not remember anything after that. Throughout the rest of Ed's life after his arrest, he spent it in mental institutions. And what's actually really crazy here is that Ed was actually only tried for that one charge of murder. He was never charged with the murder of Mary, and he was also never charged for exhuming nine bodies and dismembering them completely. Ed died at the Mendotal Mental Health Institute when he was 77 years old on July 26, 1984, from a respiratory failure caused by lung cancer. His gravestone was actually stolen in the year 2000. However, police were able to recover it from someone in Seattle who had stolen it just a year later in 2000. However, instead of replacing the gravestone, there is actually no gravestone where Ed's body lies. However, his gravesite is not a secret. It is known to the public. You can find it. He's actually laying with his entire family, including his brother, which is a little strange if you think about it, if you think that he did have something to do with that death. But that is the case 
of Ed Gein. All right, you guys, that is the end of this case. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new here, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We upload new episodes every week and you are not going to want to miss it. Make sure you follow all of the socials that are going to be in the description. And with that being said, you guys, I will see you next week with a brand new case. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.